0: If you know me, you know I love high-quality clothes and occasionally a luxury item here or there, but I hate spending luxury prices, so I rarely buy anything really nice for myself. That was until I discovered Quince. They have so much good stuff for you guys. Quince offers a range of high-quality items at prices within reach. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters from $50, washable silk tops and dresses, organic cotton sweaters, and 14-karat gold jewelry. The best part is that everything is priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I love that. It's also really important to me that the clothes I wear are created in a safe environment. And Quince only works with factories that use ethical and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So obviously, I really love that. I bought a Mongolian cashmere sweater from Quince and no joke, I have worn it. Once a week, all fall and winter long. It's so soft, premium quality, and looks like I spent a fortune on it, but it was only 50 bucks. I've told all of my friends about Quint. I also love their men's line and have gotten some nice activewear and performance tees for Andrew that he loves. Give yourself the luxury you deserve with Quince. Go to quince.com/eastham for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash EastFam to get free shipping and a 365-day returns. Quince.com slash EastFam. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Couple Things. With
1: Sean and Andrew. A
0: podcast all about couples.
1: And the things they go through.
0: Uh, this is a top five interview for me. What? <laughs> this was fascinating.
1: what do you like so much about it?
0: Just most fascinating couple. And most fascinating, fa- like...
1: No, say the word fascinating. Fascinating. There it is. There it is. is.
0: Their dynamic, everything they've gone through, how they support each other, the boundaries and lines they've kind of figured out in life. He's also maybe one of the most fascinating human beings I've ever met. But to see their dynamic in person was so cool. I was so inspired.
1: So I kind of live dual lives, right? Like all of the content that we post mostly is is me and dad mode. Yeah. But there's also this other side of me, that, like the athlete, you know, competitor side. Yeah. And that's how oh this interview came to be. We're sitting down with Ken and Shelby Rideout. Ken yep. Rideout Dude. is a dog. Dude. He's a dog. He's over 50, and he runs a two-hour and 28-minute marathon.
0: Yep. He's also done ultra marathons. He's,
1: he's a world champion.
0: He's a guy that, like, no challenge is too hard.
1: So I was super curious. You got a guy like that. What is his wife like? And Shelby.
0: She's a boss. She's a boss. She's a boss. (laughs) It is really cool. Their story. There's. I don't want to give up too much because it's all within this interview. But we talk through what has shaped them into the couple that they are. We go through some really like heavy traumas, addictions, drugs, just rough upbringings that have brought them closer together and how they've kind of found their outlets in life to make sure that they stay you know straight arrows
1: i think there's going to be a part two to this because as soon as we cut the cameras they were telling their story about adopting their daughter tensei yep so they have four kids three boys and an adopted girl from ethiopia who is tensei and um it's just an amazing story in and of itself so we're excited to hear what you think but background just so you know ken aside from being this ama- amazing like endurance athlete he grew up in boston as you'll probably hear from his his accent um, took up boxing at an early age then he took a job as a prison guard okay yep. so he's you know he looks like he's a rough around the edges kind of guy which we we address on he the show he took up
0: a job as a prison guard at the prison where his stepfather and brother were incarcerated
1: so then he goes and works on wall street making tons of money they talk about that and what's that what that's like And, um, and now he's like kind of walking into this limelight of celebrity and
0: we talk about his major substance abuse, how it was hidden from his wife, pretty much their whole relationship, how that came out, how he went into recovery, what changed his life, how they support each other through that.
1: And what I love about this couple is that they're both amazing. So Shelby herself is an educator and an ASL interpreter. So she does sign language.
0: She also has her own app that you all need to check out called Bright Signs Learning for teaching your children how to learn sign language.
1: That's right, and it's only $4.99. So yes. I feel like it's a pretty... Sean, actually, that's one thing that you uh, increased urgency of in our family was yep. like just learning sign language. I just think it's kind of cool to learn any new language. Absolutely. And we'll link information on that b- down below. But here's what I love about this couple that was really refreshing for me uh, is a lot of the people we interview do a lot of interviews and they write a lot of books and they have their shtick and it like they're this is kind of what they do. It's like, um, they are YouTubers or they are authors. But Ken and Shelby have lived this whole life of things. And like they've just got engaged and immersed themselves in life. And now at like a later phase in life, they are sharing their story Mm -hmm. publicly. Which is kind of it just makes a different dynamic. It's like more You'll hear the tone and the, the whole, I think, conversation is authentic, not to be cliche, but just really unique. And I'm a big fan of Ken and Shelby. So thank you too for joining us and giving us a time. Uh, glad to call you friends. And again, if you want to learn more about Ken and Shelby and what they're up to, Shelby's TikTok is hilarious. So yes. you should check that out. She does these story times with like frogs getting stuck in the wall. Anyway, check it out. Uh, we'll link information down below. Without further ado, we bring you Ken and Shelby right out. How many um, shoes do you think you have? Hundreds. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, I'm like, a, I want three pairs of shoes, one for running, yeah. one for working out, one for, Brother, I, for I have coaching. four
2: pairs of shoes at in constant rotation just for running. But why? I run like 70 to 100 miles a week. Oh, my
1: God. But why do you need more than just no. one pair of shoes? Burn them out and then rotate. No, 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 no.
2: You need to. They need to be wearing <laughs> equally at all times because uh, when you're running that many miles, think about how many miles yeah. 100 miles a week is.
3: Yeah.
1: That's okay. an
2: average of almost 15 miles a day. Okay. So if they start to wear slightly, it alters your gait, and that kind of distance with a slight gait alter will F up like a hip uh, Achilles. High so TV. if they're all wearing around equal amounts all the time, I just rotate them through. And then I have, like, shoes for r- r- running fast, shoes for, like, recovery. Did you have multiple gymnastics stuff? Like, I, this is a pro- this is a job for yeah. me. It's like a profession.
0: Yeah. We, like, the only kind of similar situation in gymnastics is, like, grips yeah. that oh, yeah, you yeah. wear on the bars. And I would have three. Yeah. But it's it's painful because, like, yeah. you basically have to start over. Mm-hmm. So you have you have one that's, like, completely worn in. One that's like seventy five percent worn in, one that's like fifty, and then you have your new ones, which yeah. are a nightmare.
2: So. Wow! But that's why I've been that's why I have been able to win the races like this Gobi Desert race that I just did. Congrats! Thank you. Is um, because I treat this like deadly serious, like the same way you trained when you were in the NFL. That's how I treat running. There's no compromise. There's no. It doesn't take a backseat to anything. Mm. It's like the my priority because it's not just somewhat of a career it's also like my mental and physical health which is the most important thing in the world to me without uh, it i'm no useless to anyone else
0: I would say you'll be disappointed my very first half marathon yeah i was like so excited barely trained at all went and bought a brand new outfit brand new shoes i was like i need the whole mm-hmm. i need the whole new That's get what up. matters put them on <laughs> on the start line it was one of the worst days of my life horrible why there oh, well, was the a tra- train the lack of training I blisters <laughs> everywhere my feet were hurting oh. so bad it was just miserable
2: but what that's what would you would expect of me <laughs> if i tried to go do gymnastics and you're like come on we'll do a back yeah. handspring and i'm like yeah. i'm pretty athletic look <gasps> yeah. that, that looks very doable <laughs> yeah. and then you break your neck and you're like well what were you thinking <laughs> we, yeah. wait
4: we were down on the beach recently at my parents house oh my God, and, I almost he, and killed he went my for son. a walk with our youngest two yeah. seven and he comes back
2: hold on goes- while we were walking he did about 20 back handsprings with me spotting him. He's super wow. athletic. Awesome. Nice. Hold on. He's eight. Ken's
4: background in gymnastics, you may be asking. <laughs> Do you have experience spotting back handsprings? No, he does we not. We did about
2: 20 back handsprings in the <laughs> sand with me spotting him. So he comes back and hands. he goes,
4: Hey, Cameron, come on. Show everyone your back handspring.
2: He's soaking wet. I, have,
4: I, yeah. I did gymnastics back in the younger yeah. years. No, like, wrong entirely. Cameron goes back and literally just lands like on scorpion his on his neck. Oh,
2: and I was, it was mortified.
4: Yeah. So he was yeah. super embarrassed. But at the same time, I'm like, what were you thinking? Where's your gymnastic background? What are you yeah. talking about? We're on the sand and, and landed, everything. Like, he's never done yeah. anything. When he yeah. la- when he
2: landed, he's he just turned eight. He might have been seven at the time. When he landed, he goes, You sucked out. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he was right. Oh, he was right in that moment. Uh, <laughs>
1: Do you laugh like that in the moment, or is this like a oh, no? no on that get, one, yeah. I didn't laugh because yeah. I thought I broke his neck.
2: Yeah. I mean it was terrible. Yeah, it was. Ter- I was mortified, and it was in front yeah. of everybody. Yeah,
3: because him
2: and I were doing them by ourselves. I'm like, damn, dude, that's really good. But he went to wrestling for the first time. He takes jujitsu like four or five days a week. Like he that's trains awesome. like a maniac, and he's good. Like I have four kids. I know when someone is good and not good. He's good. He went to wrestling. He was doing pretty good. They were warming up. They were like, all right, guys, running around, cartwheels, uh, forward rolls. There's like, you know, 30, 40 kids. All right, guys, back handsprings. I'm like, back handsprings? Like, all these kids are going to do back handsprings? And they just start flinging themselves over. And sure enough, he's out there trying. He couldn't really do it, but he's yeah. like kind of like flipping himself around. Crazy. But if someone said to me, all right, do cartwheels, back handsprings, I'd be like, yeah, back hands, pass. Yeah. I no wouldn't break my neck.
0: And as a gymnast, that makes me cringe. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. I, I would not want to just yell at forty kids who like throw back handsprings.
3: <laughs>
2: well, these kids, half the kids were doing it. I mean, they weren't very good. It's but impressive. That,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And speaking of why that wouldn't be a bad idea, there was a kid named Jamie Nieto. You ever heard of him? He was an mm-hmm. Olympic high jumper, doing backflips and like back springs backflips. Did one? Oh, landed yeah. on his neck. Broke his neck. Like paralyzed. after, like
4: after he was doing the high jump, he was just uh, being funny on the track and kind of like to celebrate or to be silly did it in paraplegic.
2: After, so yeah. what's the moral oh. of the story? Don't do back handsprings if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, unless <laughs> you're doing it to your seven-year-old
4: son on the beach. Yeah.
2: All right, how'd you guys meet? I'm curious. Are we recording?
4: Yeah, we we're are. live. Oh, cool. cool. <laughs> I was going to say this is good material. Be on the show. <laughs>
2: do you want me to tell the story?
4: Well, I'll just say from my end, I was 30, living in New York, and it was one of those where you're like, okay, really got to meet more people. It just friends. This, bef- gotta... this is
2: before Hinge. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
4: and I can be—I'm very outgoing, but I'm—but I'm an introvert, so yeah. it's very easy for me to like just hang in. And so I was like, "No, I'm going to make an effort." And so this guy I went to high school with, who's a year above, called me and was like, "He would call like every six months, you know, when he was in town. Hey, I'm going out with a bunch of people. You should come out." I was like, "You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out with a bunch of new people." <laughs> Showered up, ready to go. Left him a message like, "Just tell me where you guys are." And. I don't hear back by like eight. I was like, okay, I'm shutting it down. I'm watching Seventh Heaven and I'm going to bed. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> end of the road. And he calls and he's like, where are you? We're still, whatever. I'm like, oh, are you still out? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, is there a bunch of people still out? Or, cause I thought it was gonna be dinner and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm here with my friend Ken. I go, there's one dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, go, I, I thought it was like a bunch of people, like a yeah. thing. And he's like, no, no, come on. And it was way downtown. It was so like inconvenient. It's not my, I normally would have tucked it in. And I was like, nope. I'm putting out like good vibes to you know, spice things up, and I go down, and it was Ken. Dang,
1: that was like your first yeah. foyer I, out. I, and, yeah, like
4: wow. hit it out of the park on the first one. Well, I,
2: I had mentored this young kid who was a sophomore in high school when I was running a trading desk in London, and this group called, and long story, but this kid did an internship with me like between his sophomore and junior year in high school. Obviously like a real overachiever. He went to Cornell, super nice kid, and he basically, they had this program where you could pay someone to get you an internship in like finance, fashion, whatever. So he went through this program. So when he was telling me this, we were sitting on the trading desk and I was like, we should start our own business like this. You just find people, intern. I'll find all the jobs. You handle the logistics. Long story short, he did it. While he was a senior in high school, he ran this program and had kids staying at the Juilliard School of Music wow. in New York in the dorms during the summer. And one of the activities was like, Uh, weekly or nightly speakers so he asked me to come and speak which at the time i was like oh i would have rather like been thrown off a bridge than speak publicly especially to a bunch of high school kids but anyway i went there and one of the other guys who was my age went to the high school where this young kid went where shelby also went so the guy who was on the panel with me was shelby's year and age and he was like a a talent agent or like any booked models and stuff. So he's like, Oh, I I have a bunch of models that I represent. We're having a pot. We're going to a party downtown. Let's go. I was like, hell yeah. Like Shelby, I was single. I was like, I have got to like get out. I've got to go out. And uh, (laughs) we went down there and we get to the bar and he was like, Oh, this is my friend Shelby. I'm like, when are all the people coming? And he's like, Oh no, it's, I think it's just Shelby. And I'm like, cool. Do you mind if I ask her out? And he's like, well, I kind of invited her for myself and literally he went at one point. So we're talking. I tell her what, ha- he goes to the bathroom, I tell her what happens. In long story short, we ditched him. While he's in the bathroom, we just left. <laughs> so the guy must have been like. Well, he
4: was, that was after a while. We went to a couple places and then he was like, Ken had already asked me out.
2: Regardless of how long yeah. it was, in the same evening, he went to the bathroom and we left. Wow.
4: <laughs> he was he was doing his own thing at this kind of like yeah. club where you can't hear anything. And yeah, I was like, he's fine. Did you
2: yeah. go to New
1: York for modeling?
4: So I actually went to Vanderbilt here. Go doors, let's freaking go. Yeah. Um, and um, got my degree in education so but I always wanted to be an actress so the deal with my parents was like we totally support you once like when I was little I like wrote a note like can you get me an agent and they don't co- don't talk to me just write me back yeah. they never did. I'm like did you get my note and they were like we want you to be a regular kid when you're they sort of like said when you're 18 we're totally you know that's great but they really meant it's like post college that's really great yeah. so I went to Vanderbilt and I was born like my passion is really kids and being with kids and that's very natural so I was not born Audrey Hepburn didn't prevent me from being like dude I want to do that like so I, mm-hmm. I was a decent actress um went to Vanderbilt got my degree in education special education and I focused on the deaf and then I moved to New York to wait tables or I actually worked with kids um to support myself at the time and then I was doing acting but that led to a lot of like print modeling and mm-hmm. regular modeling but it took me years to be like I'm why specialize in deaf so I, well, I think it's very, sign language is very um, theatrical,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and there's a lot of performance yeah. in your face and stuff like that, so I think that probably, um, I always loved special ed. I always liked working with special needs kids mm-hmm. since I was little, and so um, senior in high school, I was working at this oral, you could, you could do an internship, your senior of high school, and I worked at this school that was an oral school, so it was deaf kids, but they were not, you weren't allowed to sign. You had to work on your voice, and there was this little Japanese kid whose parents were Japanese, he was deaf, He his parents spoke Japanese, he was living in America, and he was deaf, and he went to a sign language class in the morning, or school, and then he came to this oral class. So I was handing out snacks, and he started to sign more. And I was like, okay, and started to give him snacks. They're like, no, he has to say it. And he was sitting there doing the sign, going, mm. mm-hmm. And I was like oh but I understood like I don't care how you communicate whether it's through words or sign and so I just then got into sign language and stuff but I moved to New York and was like I'm gonna do this and did did print modeling and commercials and kind of went as far as I guess and I went to LA with it and stuff but then there was a strike and I went back to school and then became fluent in sign language and then did all of that.
1: So I have a brother that's a missionary and I feel like mission oriented work is really hard because it's like there's more passion and purpose behind it than yeah. like hey let me no offense but like you know the more material like let me go make a lot of money working a desk yeah wherever
2: right oh we can come back to that i have a whole i, have I know, whole I know. <laughs> y'all got I stories, guys stories i <laughs> right. get caught up in that life but we'll come back to that yeah. go ahead but it's it's
1: hard because that's the beautiful aspect of mission-oriented work but it, they're also i feel like so often comes with it like this disappointment or like you, you talk to like a social worker, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like, oh, it's this dread because they can't make the leap from their goal of helping people and like whatever red tape or mm-hmm. societal infrastructure, like whatever. Has that been hard for you as you've navigated this world?
4: Um, a little bit. Yes. Because and it's actually just, I wanted to increase my skills again. And so I just starting last week, I contacted a company here and was like, hey, do you need interpreters? And so they sent me to a school with a little guy who's mm. really, they're like, when they called me, they said, We don't know how much he can even see. You. He's really low vision, he's low cognitive, and he's deaf. Or he has cochlear implants. So he can hear, he actually can hear more than you think. And it's so difficult because they pay a certain amount. So they, they mainstream him into some classes mm-hmm. for like social studies and science. And it's like, he's not getting any of it. Mm-hmm. It's even signing wise, I was like, Ooh, this is a little challenge. They're like reading and highlighting fifth grade stuff and his it's just low and so i'm like but he could do so much like when he had one on one he did a one on one last week i was like that was so great it was like but the government will only pay for so much so they mainstream mm-hmm. them, so then they can pay for other things and it's sort of um so you just sort of look for those moments in those pockets where you do see a difference wow. you know
1: is it fulfilling
4: it's very fulfilling That's it's good. yeah i i love it i love it um, and just kids in general and we we have an adoptive daughter and a we tried to adopt again for many years and it didn't, we moved to Nashville two years ago. And I said, listen, I'm not ready to shut that down, even though like we're old bags. I was like, I'm still, I said, so we we, we literally traveled with all the cribs, all the strollers and everything. I'm like, I just need to wait. And I feel like I'll just know, like God's gonna lead me. I just need him, that door to close, but it's not closed yet. Mm. So he came and I was like, maybe we're supposed to foster. And that I find that world is really difficult. That Like Mm -hmm. that one, and I don't know it well enough, so I looked and I was like, you know, I still have four little ones, and the need, the biggest need is for teenagers, Mm -hmm. and Mm. that's a tough one, because there's a lot, even in adoption, we saw it, where you adopt a three or four year old, people are thinking, oh, this, like some people have this savior mentality, like I'm the savior, I'm saving you, which is not really the right Mm -hmm. outlook, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Ken and I will both say, we feel like we got the bigger gift Mm -hmm. from our daughter, you know? But- with, with foster care, people go in it very naively and they think, oh, great, they're going to come here. Mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, flood them with love and everything will be great. And you're like, no, there's a lot of trauma even mm-hmm. at two or three or four. So then you get a teenager and you know their life has not been mm-hmm. what you hoped for them. And so they come and I'm like, I just don't. And so that part's really disheartening mm-hmm. to see.
0: So the door is still not closed for you guys? No, we're old farts now.
2: If, no, I think if I think if, if for
0: adoption, <clears throat> I
2: think if we could adopt the newborns that they would keep them in our natural bro- birth order of our own children, I would probably take one or two more.
4: I would take I would take. Oh, are you opening up Once a you have once <laughs> you have like <laughs> yeah. once you have two
2: or three kids, I feel like two, three or six, it's like you're in it like yeah. it's, it's yeah. not like the oldest is now old enough to, like, help out with stuff. Like, they're at the age now where we can leave them alone for an hour or two if we want to go eat. So now I feel like we're, like, through the woods. Yeah.
4: Except the issue now is then you have basketball and, like, yep. you're oh in all God. these different directions that the you would schedule be...
2: tonight is insane. Yeah. It's like, we had yeah. to have someone else do one of the pickups. Well, we have a carpool what? with somebody. No, yes. some, yeah, somebody there's practice all over the place.
0: Um,
2: Every night, all four kids.
0: I will yeah. say that's been a conversation we've had recently. This will be our third. Yeah. And I, I know I'm done with pregnancy. Okay. I'm done with, yeah. like our personal like yeah. biological children. I was like, but if you want to talk adoption, yeah. Like let's start opening up a new door. It's the greatest. Because oh, it's the best. If you're like if you're willing to take on <laughs> mm-hmm. children and be a parent, there's yeah. so many people who need it. But Yeah. I'm curious when you adopted your daughter, did you struggle at all like within your marriage of trying to figure out I feel like a lot of people are afraid to say it, but having the ownership over a child no. of feeling like they're yours. No, I never...
2: That part of it, that part of it was never... We were on the same page with everything. The minute they handed it to us, it was the same. And we've had three biological kids.
3: Mm. It's the
2: same as if they pulled her out of Shelby. It was like, as soon as they handed it to us, it was like, oh, yes, yes, our daughter. And that's, mm. even when I look at her now, like, mm. yeah, she's different, obviously, but I don't see the differences when I look at her feet. Like, when you look at your kid's mm-hmm. feet, like, those are kind of my feet and Shelby, those are our feet. Yeah, I do the same thing with her. I'm like, they're kind of like my feet. <laughs> like, it, it's literally like there's no, honestly, there's no difference to me in the difference of our kids. They all get yelled at the same amount. <laughs> they all get treated the same, love and anger (laughs) (laughs) equally across the board. I mean, Uh, sometimes too much anger for me, but.
0: Do you think that's a choice though, like relationally you have to make as a couple going into adoption?
4: Yes, and I have heard through many people, I feel like in general, and this is a generalization, but it's easier for women Mm -hmm. to be like, yeah, of course, that's my my Mm -hmm. baby, even Mm -hmm. if it didn't come from me. Mm -hmm. Men, I know it was a biological thing, but they're more with their seed, dropping their seed around, Mm -hmm. that many men have a harder time. And so when we had a home study where they come into your home Mm -hmm. and see that you're okay, and they, I, the woman was telling me that she's been in ones where it's very obvious Mm -hmm. that someone's on board only because the other person kind of dragged them there, Mm -hmm. and she's like, that's really difficult. I said, how do you do that? Because that's not Mm a, and she's like, well, you just sort of write it in the report of saying this Mm -hmm. seems to be the sense, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, but you have to, you have to, it's anything, same thing, people getting pregnant or not, like Mm -hmm. you both have to kind of be on board and talk about what your roles are going to be. and
2: I always think about how difficult it is having children. As you know, you're like, I'm done with having kids, right? (laughs) Imagine people who have unplanned pregnancies Mm -hmm. at a young age. Like, we had our kids at... I was 40, and I still was like... I mean, even now, I'm 52. I I feel like I'm really not qualified for this job. (laughs) (laughs) But when I see people who are, like, in their teens or early 20s and they have an unplanned pregnancy, I'm like, I couldn't imagine. Like, Mm -hmm. we have... It was like, who's getting up with the baby tonight? And thank well, God, that was, Shel- that was Shelby's <laughs> calling. But <laughs> even though, like yeah. little things like that, it's like, people just, when I see people having pr- unplanned pregnancy, I'm like, they have no yeah. idea what's about mm-hmm. to hit them. The tsunami of responsibilities, mm. right? It's like the kids can't do anything. Can't eat, poop, nothing without you yeah. for 24 seven for like five years. Dude, that first baby. Yeah you, it, you can't even go world. to the
3: bathroom yourself nope. <laughs> like it is yeah.
1: and then you think about a single mom yeah yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's who's insane. got job like that mm-hmm. gets crazy real quick and it it's like humbling to think Hell yeah. oh i think i have i'm whining right now because of my situation yeah, yeah. with my freaking mother in law who's helping mm-hmm. how yeah. it's like oh, i got no room to complain i will <laughs>
0: say but, we there's no question in this just a side story we were so inspired we had a, a young couple here mm. who are in their teens when they accidentally got pregnant, like never intended to get married. They were just oh, wow. kids, and eighteen. I think they're eighteen or eighteen, yeah. And they were the most inspiring, mature, probably twenty-year-olds.
3: Yeah, the they're time. still young. They're
0: still twenty, and they've gotten married, and they've made it work, and they go to counseling, wow. and they have this beautiful baby. They're trying to get pregnant again, and I was like, wow. The world could learn a lot. Yeah. Well,
1: there's two ways you could, you know, approach that situation. Either, hey, realize that you're about to walk into a tsunami of of responsibilities and say, I got a lot to learn. Let's Mm -hmm. start right now or run away from it. And honestly, I think about adoption and fostering. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit of like, I don't know if I have the courage to Mm -hmm. like, it's like, oh, it's complicated and feels really difficult.
2: Nah, you could
4: do
3: that, you could do that. It's like anything, Place you're
4: like
2: just the... like, I'm doing this.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and I think when you work with a lot of kids too, I think that you just, you would, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, did they get from there? Was that biological mm-hmm. or is this? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. This is, it. those answers don't matter whether this is given to them, for, like it's the nature versus nurture thing. And I think both exist. I think nurture is bigger than nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think being, just being an open person and almost in a way, because you don't necessarily have a background as well as your own backgrounds for your kid, you're more open, like, I don't know, maybe she's going to be a great singer. Where if it was me, I'm like, no, probably don't have any mm-hmm. talent. You know, th- where mm-hmm. you sort of cut off things using, or, oh, they're not going to be very tall, or they're not going to, you because you know mm-hmm. the history. When you have a child that you don't have as much history, in a way, you're more like, the world is your oyster, because I'm not mm-hmm. putting subconsciously, like, limits on what I think you can, you hope not to do that anyway, but... It is your little bit more open, like oh, let's see, let's see how you flower about and what comes
0: out because mm. it's kind of like a surprise.
1: I love that mentality, like a treasure <laughs> yeah. hunt. With yeah. The kid.
0: yeah, yeah, it's fun. Talking about nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. I hope you don't mind me asking. We've you've talked about how you had a rough upbringing mm-hmm. and the nurture side of it. How do you still process that as a grown adult of working against your upbringing and making sure it doesn't go on to another generation
2: that's a good question and I'm glad you asked it so don't feel uh, uncomfortable asking because that's part of like my story and who I am and I hope other people can learn from this but um even as a child part of the reason and and I've shared this in other interviews about my upbringing is Mm -hmm. from the from my earliest memory I recognized that the way that the people I was living with were doing things wasn't right and that mm-hmm. was my motivation and inspiration to get the hell out of there <clears throat> so I look back at that and be like yeah I know exactly what not to do
3: mm-hmm.
2: and th- that comes with a lot of uh emotional baggage and that's part of the reason why um I don't know if this was on the camera when we were talking about on-site why I mm-hmm. went to on-site and what's on-site trauma healing center which at the time going there I was like I don't have trauma I just know that I I could be Happier, mm-hmm. I could be have more peace in my life, not necessarily happy because I'm happy, but I could do without some of the periods of turmoil, internal tor- turmoil. Anyway, so I went there and I was like, I don't really have trauma. We started doing the work, and after like two or three intense full time days, I was like, The woman was like, You know, we're going through all the stuff, and she's putting little signs up on the wall as we're going through. There's a lot of like, um, you know, we're using a lot of tools and mm-hmm. stuff, and um. She's like, if I told you your children had to deal with this, Mm -hmm. would you think that they had trauma? And I just like melted down. I was Mm -hmm. like, I would never tolerate this shit happening to my kids.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: But to your point, um, that stuff motivated me of how I didn't want to raise my own children and kind of formed the motivation or the impetus for me to want to build my own family with Shelby that was more about what I wanted what was missing in my life like a family of like a family built on love and mm-hmm. respect and trust and I I'm far from uh great at at being a parent but I try to create uh you know the house that I wanted when I was a child and try you know I'm, I'm always trying to do the best but we're like <laughs> a quite the dichotomy like Shelby's very soft and loving and nurturing and almost like at times like well, i think discipline, too, too <laughs>
4: gentle oh, yeah, like and tough. coddling and
2: i come in like a bull in a china shop but way too far to the extreme where i'm like cursing and, no, yeah because like, yeah, they'll say
4: like a seven years like oh come on cut the bullshit my ken <laughs> yeah he's seven yeah. i mean
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but i don't know and then they're like you know, we, we don't tolerate them using bad words. And they'll be like, Dad, but you use bad words. And I go, yes, that just shows that you have a complete lack of command of the English language and you have no other words to fill in. So you're using curse words It shows complete un- lack of intelligence. And they're like, you curse all the time. I'm like, yes, don't be like me. You have no excuse. I'm raising you the right way. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been my, my upbringing has been a big motivation for me wanting to create the life that the childhood that i missed out on for my own children and um for the most part we've done it like i said i'm not i'm far from perfect and um there's a lot of things i can improve on but doing things like going to on-site hopefully i just continue to try to work towards being the person that i want to be and i'm far from that but
3: mm-hmm.
2: i'm closer than i was yesterday mm-hmm. sean i got a question for you
3: okay
0: what is it
2: on a scale from chug to sip <laughs> How would you
1: rate your hydration style?
0: Um, Interesting question. I would say I'm a sip girl. I (laughs) sip on my coffee for literally hours and sip on water throughout the day. What about you?
1: I would say I'm a chug type of guy, no doubt. But whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone.
0: I actually really love liquid IV, especially since nursing bear. I feel like I'm always thirsty. I like that it's sugar-free and it's fun to sip on throughout the day. The flavors are really good, and I've loved having a flavored drink rather than just water in my cup.
1: My favorite flavor is the lemon-lime, and Sean loves strawberry and tropical punch. It's crazy to me that one stick and 16 ounces of water has three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks and eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness.
0: Yes, sir. That's why they say it hydrates better than water alone.
1: However, you hydrate, grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier, sugar free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code EASTFAM at checkout.
0: That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code EASTFAM at liquidiv.com.
1: You know, whenever I look at pictures of our kids from the past year, I'm amazed at how fast they're growing up.
0: Oh my gosh, me too. And we've been doing a deep dive into old photos lately.
1: Sometimes the thought hits me hard that I'm getting older too. And this has led me to think a lot about the legacy I want to leave behind, what kind of parent I want to be, and things like our family's financial security.
0: We've been talking a lot about this recently and are excited to share that Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple, to get the protection that's right for your family
1: life insurance doesn't have to be some big confusing topic fabric by gerber life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes
0: 10 minutes is crazy fast plus it's all online and on your schedule no appointments scheduling or piles of paperwork just apply when it's convenient for you
1: this is the first company I've heard of where you can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required, and they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash eastfam.
0: That's meetfabric.com eastfam. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash East fan
1: policies issued by Western Southern life assurance company, not available in certain States prices subject to underwriting and health questions. We'll also link it down below and let's get back to it. So I'm really excited about this conversation and Mm -hmm. have been because you can, I think are like that David Goggins type, you know, Jocko, like you're A hard man you know like you're freaking i don't see myself like that but i get really quickly he came (laughs) home the other day
4: from lunch and he goes i gotta tell you what happened at lunch i go what happened And he goes, I was walking to the table and there was two girls having like a girl's lunch and and the one woman turned to the other one and goes, that's a man. (laughs) And I go, oh. And he goes, goes, so he goes, I heard her. And Ken's the type not to just pretend like, oh, I didn't hear it and kind of smile. He turns, he goes, what? Oh,
2: thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I just got to clarify, she goes, there were were women sitting in South Hall at the restaurant and she was like, that's a man. And I turned and I was like, you just made my day. And she goes, and she said to a friend, that's what a man should look like polished cleaned up <laughs> like just together just in shape just like good job there was and she was not being inappropriate she was just like good work and i was like i feel like if i see someone walking by who's dressed nicely i will always say like i love your outfit mm-hmm. that's awesome so to me i was like thank you you have no idea how much that meant to me <laughs> but yeah
1: it's so interesting like we're we're still getting to know each other very much though. So, but like I i do group you in that in that realm and it's like to hear you talk about love and trust. You know, here's this East Coast guy who's into boxing, was a prison guard. And you're talking about love and trust. Mm-hmm. Like it those things don't always go hand in hand, mm-hmm. naturally in my mind, of like, hey, I'm gonna go freaking dominate this race and love and trust. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you mesh those two things? And it's like what what I'm curious about, and, and I hope we could dial in throughout this conversation it's just like you had. You said we can do this when it comes to the parenting yeah. and, and adoption it's like you have the mentality with everything mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm curious like how do you there's an element of marriage that I think taps into that mentality of like we can do this mm-hmm. better than you can as an individual which yes. is why I think this aspect of a team is so powerful you have this person who knows all your weaknesses mm-hmm. who still says you're capable mm-hmm. and like you can do this um, but it's like and what areas of your life are you applying that to and in what priorities right like wait because you can't you can do this for sure you can do a thing but you can't do everything no and so like how what, what is that balance when you're talking ultra marathons four kids mar- you know what i'm saying you have a freaking high performing
2: job too it's like how well i would say that a lot of the persona and the hard guy stuff might be um a bit of a defense mechanism for how genuinely sensitive and emotional I am. Like I've cried on multiple interviews, like un- not, not uncontrollably, but uh, I wasn't <laughs> able to even like tamp down the fact that I was getting emotional. And <clears throat> I don't, I mean, I like Jocko and David Goggins, but I don't have that. I, I, I I'm not, I, I feel like I'm not as like, a aggr- maybe to others I am. I don't feel like I'm that aggressive. Like, with let's go let's kill 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 in my mind i am <clears throat> when it comes to my own stuff but i just feel like like with this gobi desert race as an is an example of like how i my mindset goes like i saw this race someone said i'm doing this race in mongolia six days 155 miles self support and I'm like I've never run with a backpack, I've never slept in a sleeping bag, I have no outdoor skills, I have no man skills at all. Like I couldn't change the door hinge. Like I it's and it's not my thing. I don't like it. It's so when I started, I was like, oh my God, that makes me so uncomfortable. And at one point my Shelby even said, like, yeah, you always talk about doing things outside of your comfort zone. So you know this could be a good <laughs> thing. And I was like, F it, I'm doing this. And Literally, we were like, uh, I don't even have a backpack. I got to start trying out backpacks. I just got backpacks, loaded them up with water and bottled water and towels to like, I didn't know anything. So I just put 20 pounds in a backpack and started running with it. And immediately I was like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? This is like next to impossible. I'm running 10 miles a day with a backpack. I've got to do 25 a day in four weeks because I signed up four weeks before. But at some point i was overwhelmed with nerves and scare and and uh, anxiety but then i was like you know what i'm doing this i'm here and i was telling todd anderson and katie hoff the other day our mutual friends that as i was getting on the plane i was like again like going like going to onsite i was like going to the electric chair i was like i can't believe i'm doing this like i there wasn't a moment of like yes i'm going to mongolia this is going to be awesome i was like what the hell have I got myself into? <laughs> everyone is watching. Why did I do this? I I'm going to I'm going to be so embarrassed. The minute I was literally as I was walking onto the jetway of the airplane, I could feel this my mentality shifting of like, let's go. We're going to kill everyone. We're killing them. We're winning because I had friends Rich Roll said to me, And I told Rich this, and it's, I know he didn't mean it, but he was like, dude, be careful. That's a hard race. It's claimed a lot of ultra runners. Someone died there once. And I told him on a show, I was like, as soon as you said that to me, I was like, how dare you think that this is too dangerous for me? And another friend said, it would be great if you could get top five there. And I was, and I said to him, top five, I'm winning. Mm -hmm. I'm winning that race. He goes, come on, dude, there's people there that this is all they do. And they were. But I killed them. That comes off hard, just so you know. I
1: mean, that's pretty aggressive. Like, I just <laughs> want you to know. Yeah, but I just Which told you I was
2: scared to death inside. I was practically laying in my tent crying the night before. So- I was like, I didn't sleep. I was like, what have I done? Oh, my God, it's pouring rain. I'm in the desert. I hate sleeping in a tent. I'm a baby. I have to stay at the Four Seasons.
0: Like yeah, I
2: can't stay even at a crap hotel. It's <laughs> <He's> very bougie. <laughs> 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 I love having Joey yeah. well, awesome.
0: I'm curious that the, like you said the dichotomy of you guys' yeah. relationship we're really different well our our values yes. and all
4: of that is the same yes um, 100% the same but our upbringing inter- I always joke around so when I was 16, 17, 18 I worked as uh, at an ice cream store
3: yeah
4: scooping out ice cream with 50s music on yeah and Ken was working in a prison as a guard yeah so our in that regard our Outlook is a little bit, so I'm like, everyone is good unless you prove to me you're bad. And I have a pretty mm-hmm. good judge of character. He thinks everyone's bad until they prove to me that they're, that I can, like, then they have to prove or earn that they're good for me. So it's a little bit different that way, and I can't really change that, because that's his experience with that's how he grew point. and what he's seen. Mm. And my experience was, and it has suited me well. I mean, I do have a good good judge of character that you can kind of, you know, um but so it's like, at the same time, he's, deep down, like, more positive. Like, I'm the type where I want. If I'm going to do a race, in my mind, I'm like, I want to win. I'm not going to tell anyone yeah. until it's over, and then I've won. Yes. And then if I don't, no one has to know anything happened here. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to kick ass. I'm going to win. I'm like, <laughs> oh god, you're yeah. setting yourself up for like this major embarrassment. Well, I think about people like you and Katie. that go on these national stages, mm-hmm. and people, i like, they're supposed to do this. They're going to be great. And you're like. And your baby, your little, little kids, mm-hmm. and that's so much pressure that is it you're someone who can perform under pressure or you don't? Or how do you rectify that in your mind? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You do, or closing things off and just being able to to zero in.
0: More compartmentalizing. But yeah. the, the, what I'm curious about, like the dichotomy of you guys, because for me, it was definitely compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. I'd be, I would shut the world out. Yeah. I could turn it off in a switch. Yeah. I'd walk into arena. The only thing that existed was like the equipment in myself. That's amazing. I couldn't hear people, mm-hmm. nothing. She's a stone cold
1: killer, bro. <laughs> back yeah. in the day. Back killer.
0: in the day. No yeah. kidding. Not anymore. It's crazy. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> but, Not since babies. But again, even reflecting back on my life, I had a wonderful upbringing, everything. But within gymnastics, there's so many like traumas and things that you go through. I'm curious of like that mindset, that switch that you're able to turn on. Like you said, you're walking onto mm-hmm. a plane. And you're like, I'm about to poop my pants. I cross the threshold. I'm going to go kill him. That's a mindset that is very hard to learn. Unless, one, it's a coping mechanism mm-hmm. of this is how I learn. Like, this is yeah. my life. Do you think that's something that you learned as a kid that just became your way of coping with life? Or do you think that's just like an innate thing that people are born with? And do you see it in your children or is it different because their upbringing Mm -hmm. is different than yours where it's in a loving household and it's more safe?
2: I think that I learned this late in life going through addiction and just being so disgusted with myself. and, And at some point I was just like, I am not accepting mediocrity in my life. I will not be a loser. And I was because I had been, in my mind, a winner through high school and college. I played hockey and football in high school and college and had you know not at a high level but high enough relative to my peers that I was felt successful like I played two sports in college I'm mm-hmm. doing this no one no one in my family had gone to college my my peers and friends went to college but um so then to go through addiction and 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 just become so like full of self-loathing and mm-hmm. disgust and being everything bad that I would project onto others that were going through their own struggles that at some point I was just like, F this man, I am not gonna live like this. I'm taking control of this. And even when you were describing just the mindset of flipping the switch, walking into the arena, I could feel my body like having a visceral reaction of like, yeah, it's time to go. And my partner on the podcast, Teddy Atlas, he would always say, like, fear is like your friend. You think it's there to threaten you, but it's actually there to tell you that it's just time to perform. It's Mm -hmm. time to get ready. Mm -hmm. Fear is, like, normal and healthy. If you walk across the street and there's a car coming down, you should feel fear, right? And it's just telling you that it's time to react. And how you react is like the saying, you know, the coward and the hero, the only thing different is how they react. Mm -hmm. They both feel and experience Mm -hmm. the same Mm -hmm. things. So Mm. everything that... I would feel all the same normal feelings that everyone feels it but at some point I was like, nope, I refuse to yield to that. I'm in control of how I react and I'm telling you, I'm gonna empty the tank and I will die to win. Mm-hmm. And I don't wanna die but when I'm running and racing, I've left races in an ambulance more than once and I just feel like when I'm there, again, I don't wanna get hurt, I don't wanna kill myself but when I'm there I'm like, no, every, it, it's all or nothing. I'm emptying the tank they're getting everything. You cannot beat me without killing me. Does that come from a place of um, of like
1: inspiration or, or like love of like I love running, I love competing no. or is it like a, a darker
2: place? It, I think <laughs> it's a darker place. Mm-hmm. I think it's for me, it's a darker place for sure and it's but, but it's definitely like a coping mechanism mm-hmm. to cope with what's the things that were missing in my life. Like no one does drugs, initially you do drugs and you like the way they make you feel mm-hmm. but eventually you do drugs to escape the way you feel. Mm-hmm because i could tell you like right now if someone was like <clears throat> hey we're going to let's go get high i'd be like it's going to be awesome for like 2 hours mm-hmm. and then i'm going to want to kill myself mm-hmm. and i don't want to die today so the running for me becomes it doesn't get me high but it occupies my mind and it gives me some purpose and it gives me some something to channel my energy in outside of work like work is called work for a reason it's not called fun <laughs> it's work Hmm. but what were you about to say?
4: I was going to say when he's talking about all these things and he made a decision that would be the nature part the nurture um, no the nurture part mm-hmm. the nature part is he has two brothers mm-hmm. and since he was little one of my favorite stories is he had a he had brothers like 10 months apart oh wow oh, wow so, went to was in the prison that Ken served as a garden yeah. not at the same time and they went to go their mom signed him up for like welfare camp they go to get on the bus his brother runs away
3: and We're like
2: seven years old, yeah. in downtown Boston. he runs away from the bus. I'm on school bus with all these inner city kids. I had like a soda wrapped up in tin foil. I just I don't know why I remember that, but I was <laughs> like, that, what is this insulation <laughs> <laughs> and uh he runs away, and I was like, and he did Ken didn't
4: want to go to the camp either, like with yeah. no urge to go here, so they finally capture the brother whatever they this bring is in the
2: on. 70s, by the yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I'm like one of like two or three white kids at this mm-hmm. camp, and it is not like. Uh, inclusivity, equity, and yeah. diversion. Here, this is like, give me your sneakers. Yeah. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, you ain't getting my sneakers. So, wait, so the mom comes and they're like, okay. This,
4: his brother ran away, so the mom comes. And they're like, okay, you can take him home. And like, Ken, you can go too. And Ken's like, I I've didn't want to. Uh, hold
2: on, I've been there for two days. Okay.
4: Yeah.
3: And
2: they drive him up there, and they call me into the camp counselor's office. And my mother's there, and my brother's there, and I'm like disgusted with the whole situation because it's like a sports camp, mm-hmm. so I'm excelling there. I'm like, you know what? i love it as a little kid i was really good at sports and then in high school like the kids who went to the pros they just pulled away yeah but as a little kid i was like on par with guys that were like nhl superstars like all my peers were like huge nhl players in in time so when i was there i was like i'm just making the best of two weeks though but two weeks when you're to
4: take him home they said your brother's going you can go too ken's like i didn't want to say but i was like screw it i'm not quitting yep and he stayed at the camp. I believe you got camper of
2: yep, camper the camp, of the week. Right. <laughs> no, camper of the year. Camper of the year. Stayed but there for my like, whole two sentence. You,
4: yeah. That's a mindset at seven, yeah. and he is just really different than his family. So to me, there's something that, and I have another friend, and me being interested in children, you see kids, you're like, there's mm-hmm. just something with this kid that mm-hmm. they have a drive that I can't explain. So you know,
1: is pushing yourself to this point of discomfort like is that? just um feeding into this like selfish like desire to compete or is do you do it to learn lessons that you carry over into other areas of life like marriage parenting and, and career or like why why continue to I teach have, yourself? i have an answer
4: that I'm may be separate curious. from this well, as the wife
2: i could make an argument for um any of the scenarios you would just suggestion su- suggesting i could make the argument certainly that i'm incredibly selfish with some things in my life no no question about it um i can also make an argument that it's like from a place of love and like respecting myself and giving my body what it needs to like stay the the, sober and um Mm -hmm. continuing to you know live i I think when people talk about aging it's like once you hit it people make this assumption that at a certain age you're just like yeah i'm done with this i'm like Mm -hmm. why should i feel like that i don't feel I don't feel any older now than I did at like thirty. I mm-hmm. just feel like, you know, a couple. I'm maybe I'm a little more sore occasionally, but so I don't know. I think that there is certainly a lot that needs to be examined um, with my therapist, which I which I do every <laughs> week. But you well, know.
4: what I was going to say is that I think it's changed over time. So when we got married, uh, I was thirty three. He was thirty six.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: We actually, I when we first our first night meeting, I said or. He said, do you want to have kids? I was like, I want to have five. I want to adopt. I want to uh, mm. give birth. And so when we got, he was like, me too. And so when we got married, we started both right away to try mm-hmm. the adoption process and having, we were having trouble having kids. Long story unexplained. We did seven in vitros, three miscarriages via in
3: vitro. Uh. Yeah. What? Yeah.
4: Totally thrown in. Anyway, uh. went to Ethiopia, got my, got our daughter. This, he, I stayed in Ethiopia for two months and he had to come back to the U.S. to work and I was just taking care of our daughter. And I, he was coming to visit for Thanksgiving. And I was like, I know this sounds crazy. But will you just bring a test? I'd never been pregnant on my own. So I said, will you just bring a test over? I'm like, that I'm that story. And wow. so he brought he brought a test, and I was pregnant. And so all three all three of our boys are... I had my tubes tied the last time. I was like, no, I only want another baby through adoption. And so all three boys were natural. But I had seven in vitro and three miscarriages. But... Um, uh-huh when we when he when we got married he started doing these triathlons and that was kind of he always kind of ran and worked out but he started to do triathlons and all this stuff and it was a very selfish pursuit Mm -hmm. at that time and he also was someone you talk about like the tough guy and the man man he is but what I love about him is some of the tough he's like that typical like very hard on the outside but a really soft center and so he was always willing always wants to he's open, you know, wanted to adopt. He's always been open to therapy and all that kind of stuff. But it each person has their own journey. And so he'd be open to it, but he just was never really getting there. So he kind of hid behind running. And he had a therapist once that said he was like, you are literally running from your problems. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, huh. But it was year but it was still years later. Like it just, you know, you go through then he would drop that therapist or whatever. So he was kind of very selfish and I For me, being with kids is easy. So I could have four kids and he'd go out biking for six hours. And I was like, oh, this is no. That's huge. But it almost enabled the behavior Mm -hmm. Uh, because I made it so easy. Mm -hmm. And then I would say like, "Okay, well, when you come home, at least then be on. But then he was Mm -hmm. tired. He just biked six hours or then he would (laughs) want to talk about bikes and go on the computer and look at bikes. And I was like, "No, no, no, like I'm being so (laughs) awesome right now. You can go do that for six hours. This Mm -hmm. is fun for me to be with the kids. But when you come home, you have to be present. Yeah, And he really wasn't. He was still deep into just kind of hiding behind and getting all this adulation for how he was doing. I would say now it's very different. Now he is much more present and he's had a lot of therapy and gone to onsite. And so when he actually, when he was gonna to go to the Gobi Desert, A friend of mine was like, how are you always cool with him doing all this fun, Mm -hmm. cool stuff? And I'm like, because when he's away from it, he literally on the way to the airport be like, what am I doing? I miss you guys so much. (laughs) And then I'm like, he's going to go across the desert, be suffering. I'm going to look amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's it's his own form of therapy. It was almost like he did on-site. You have little slides back, then you come back up. You know what I mean? And then it was almost like a check-in. And so he went to Gobi Desert. And you have nothing to do but think. Mm -hmm. And kind of, and so he comes back and he's like his best self. After, mm-hmm. which is different than how it was before. Before it was just more selfish. And I would say now his runs and goals that he has for himself in these athletic pursuits, it's much more of a full and 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 it's more about wellness and and that kind of thing than it was originally.
1: There's like a layer of intentionality of like, hey, I realize I can't go to the Gobi Desert every month. Right. But like I'm going and here's why. Yeah. And here, here's what I th- yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Um yeah. I
0: have a thought. This is more of a thought. And then a question but I'm curious what you think of this. I feel like we talked to a lot of like athletes even like Eric Decker was on the show mm-hmm. and we talked about this of how there's an obsessiveness needed mm-hmm. to do what you're doing to do what professional athletes do to do what parents are doing and a lot of athletes really struggle with it when they leave their career because they don't know how to rechannel obsession. It can turn into addiction. It can turn into unhealthy habits but there's this really interesting process that I feel like few go through where they relearn how to use their obsession in ways that they know stays within their boundaries. Mm-hmm. But usually it they only learn that because they go outside of it and they fall victim to using the obsession in the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. So whether it is addiction or whatever. Um, I know with me <clears throat> now as a parent, I have to work really hard not to tap into obsession anymore because mm-hmm. as soon as I tap into it, I take it too far. And so I always have like these little triggers of like, oh, that's going a little too too far. I have to rein it back. That's great that you recognize it. It's taken a while. Yeah. But I'm curious as a spouse and as mm-hmm. like yourself, Ken, how do you encourage someone else listening who has this ability to obsess, which I think we all do, how do you encourage them to find their limits of not taking running too far to where you're running past, like running from your problems? Mm-hmm. And as a spouse, how do you help support them and be like, I actually think you're going to the desert for the wrong reason mm-hmm. and not for the right one.
1: Not enabling them.
3: Like, yeah,
0: because right, yeah. I did. I did.
4: Yeah. I did enable in that sense. Yeah.
1: So what changed with you?
3: Yeah. Well,
4: you get to a point of frustration because what I – it was almost like a parent child role where i'm like you're an adult and i don't want to be the you know i don't want to be the nag saying can't go do that i yeah. don't like that kind of a relationship for a husband and wife where i'm saying you can't go there you can't do this but at the same time i'm like you're not setting those limits where you're like no this is i've been or i have a friend whose husband was out of the house a lot mm-hmm. and and so i don't want to say you can't go out
3: mm-hmm.
4: what i want is for you to say no I, i'm going to be i've been away a lot i kind of need to be home and so he wasn't I kept thinking any normal person is gonna recognize you're taking this too far. Mm-hmm. And then we were sort of in it and the problem became he didn't even realize how good he had it. Mm-hmm. I think he does now. Wow. Like my brother, right. my younger brother goes, dude, how can Ken get, the, how do mm-hmm. he get, how? <laughs> Well,
2: you like, know what I said to him? I chose the right partner. I chose <laughs> yeah, a but, partner uh, that would support me and that was complimentary to my life and would give me the life that I wanted. But and it was I too much, it was too show. much. Right, but we are we we. There is a lot of intentionality around who you marry and why. And mm-hmm. um, I I would say that when I met Shelby, at least from my perspective, I was like, this is the person that I want to have a family with. This is the person I want to raise my children. This is like, she was exactly what was missing in my life, and it created. I think the two of us together while I don't think that we're perfect I think that we've created a great dynamic for our kids in the sense that they get they get a like a a, a exposure to a huge spectrum of emotions and personalities <laughs> between the two of us to say the least but um hmm.
4: back back to your point or it was one of you of how do you as a a spouse support that or mm-hmm. not support that and with your whole podcast of communication and stuff and there was one time something happened I can't remember what it was and I remember um, thinking to myself, okay, how do I want to approach this so that he doesn't get defensive? Because I really want to have a conversation. And he sometimes is like, how do I get this conversation to end? And girls just, I just want to talk mm-hmm. it out. And he just wants to say, and I'm like, I, don't feed me a line. I want to have some I'm resolution. I'm always like, cut to the chase. What, what's yeah. the answer you're looking for? So there I'll was one day I wanted to talk about something. Again, I don't remember what it was. And I remember I said, okay, I'm gonna take a pause. And I was like, how would I approach this if it was my son? Mm-hmm. How how it, <laughs> probably different than I normally approach Ken? I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Where's the balance? Mm-hmm. And to my son, I might say, hey, you know, I was thinking that, gosh, it just seems like, and and it, my tone and everything was different. So I spent the morning just thinking. about it. I'm like, wow, that's funny. I would approach differently. So I went into an office. I said, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. I was kind of thinking, and I just did it in a way of like, how would you speak to not a child condescendingly, but mm-hmm. how would I do it in a way that's not your spouse? We mm-hmm. talk to our spouses sometimes different, and. It was the funniest thing because before he even answered, he goes, can I just tell you, Shelby, he's like, the way you just approached that. And so the first thing before he answered me was to say, you just came to me. That was the best way you've ever approached Mm -hmm. me with anything. And I go, that's so funny. I was pretending you were Jack. (laughs) Um, So I've gotten better sometimes at saying I don't have to say something in the immediate. Like even recently, I was doing a lot of stuff with the kids. And I said, you know what? I've been giving you, I was sort of doing, yeah, don't worry, I'll take them here. Oh, I'm do this. And so finally I started to like get irritated. Mm-hmm. And so I said to him, I said, listen, it's not your thing because I've said I'm going to take them all these things. But I do realize over the past couple of days, seems like we're, maybe we're a little out of balance. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, yep, okay, I, I hear you. And that was it. But I, I thought about it beforehand versus like just being like, dude, I'm getting irritated. Mm-hmm. And just said, let me just approach it differently and say, you know, I just kind of thinking the balance seems a little uneven
2: mm. but to your point where you were saying about what i would tell someone who feels like they might be moving towards an obsession i always like have a practical like matter of fact approach to things where at some point like when when i was training a lot for triathlon i crashed my bike one day and went in an ambulance to ucla and i just remember her coming to get me and my head's busted open i'm covered in burns all over my body i crashed going down to mescal canyon in malibu and literally stopped under the bumper of an oncoming car. Oh, I mean, it was a mess. I was like going like 35 miles an hour. The guy behind me was having a panic attack on his bike. He was like, oh my God. When I jumped up, I was bleeding everywhere. I jumped up, I go, how bad is my back? My friend, Jack McDowell from the Palisades group. And he goes, oh my God, it's so bad. And I looked at him and I go, dude, lie to me. Lie to me, tell me it's not that bad. Blood's gushing. but. When she came to get me, I was just like that was one of the turning points where I was like, "This is insane! Like, I have I have too much to like live for to mm-hmm. to get get hurt on a Saturday riding my bike in Malibu." But so t- to your point, though, I feel like I always take a matter of fact approach, even with myself, where I'm like, at some point, I'm always like, "All right, we, I gotta cut the shit. This is the, get a grip on yourself. Mm-hmm. Look in the mirror and recognize that this is getting out of alignment." Mm-hmm. And um.
4: But I will say when he went to on site, one of the things he really liked the Gobi Desert, he doesn't really know a lot about stuff before he goes in and
2: jumps in. So he's like, I'm going to on-site. <laughs> Do you think that helps
1: you? Huh? Do you think that helps? Is that like a benefit?
2: Maybe. Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's fear of like learning too much and then and then backing out of something. Yeah, yeah. It's almost mm-hmm. like even even though when I was going to the Gobi Desert, when my tent got delivered that I was gonna sleep in, I put it together the day before I was going to the desert and I was like. I think this is right. Now, yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm going with people there that have climbed Mount Everest. Yeah. They know everything about equipment. Yeah. I knew nothing.
4: Yeah. Um, what was I just saying?
2: Something uh, about uh, um, not looking into things before I go.
4: Oh yeah. So when he went to uh, on site, he was so. You know the the phone started to become a thing where he would be on the hit the phone a lot and stuff. So when you go there, they take your phone, and he exercises every single day. And so I was like, oh, I wonder how that's gonna work, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't know, and when we got there, they're like, there's no gym. Mm-hmm. You can't really go walking outside or anything. <laughs> I would but, go crazy. But it was. But what's funny is those are, as as healthy as they can be, they are also, yes. even still, it's an escape. Yes. Oh, I'm gonna do go do this, it, it's relieving, or I'm gonna go on Instagram, or I'm going, so when they strip all of that, and there's a reason they do that in those places, because mm-hmm. you sh- I gotta strip everything away, that you can't fall back on your comfort addiction of working out, because, oh, I can work out. Now I my feelings feel better. No, no, no. You're going to be like almost crawling out of your skin. So you're, the only thing left now is to share it with your therapist or cry or do whatever, um, which I thought was the most effective thing they do there is like stripping all that.
0: That's what I find so fascinating though about like even reading through your guys' bios and your relationship and kind of watching your interviews is I feel like we, to a certain extent, have a similar relationship where just polar opposites, Mm -hmm. we do things differently. He's definitely more extreme. He'll go, he'll sign up for anything without ever preparing to a certain extent. But I have friends of mine who are like, I would never let my husband or I would never let my wife. And I'm like, but he's a better husband because he gets to go do these things. And I think that obsession to a certain extent is a good thing because you learn what keeps you, to be a sane human being
3: mm-hmm.
0: and a good partner mm-hmm. and having those outlets is really important but it's the staying within boundaries and lines that gets really hard because yes. obsessions take over well
4: he signed up for the iron man uh no he qualified for iron man in hawaii mm-hmm. so there was a lot of training a lot of things it was was to go to hawaii dog dog so he goes to hawaii i take our two at that time we had two babies not realizing oh there's a time change so i was up at yeah. like three in the morning every day yep. with these babies and he's you know, trying to do all the fun things and stuff, and he goes on to do the day, and we're there cheering. Um, his father and his father's wife, Leslie, are there, and he comes on the run. I have it on video, and he comes up, and he, and he goes like this, like, cut the camera. And then it the, was sort of, I don't know how many miles in you were. Like three miles. Like three miles 26 into the a 26-mile run. I'm like, are you okay? You hurt? And he's like, no, I'm done. And I knew... He was quitting. Like now, granted, yeah. I'm not the one doing it, but you know when you see you're like, You're gonna quitter. Yeah. And dude, we have flown like you put yeah. all this stuff you in. felt that. Yeah, I felt <laughs> it. I don't have ever told him, but I remember being like, You quitter. And I was like, Are you sure? Just start walking. Just just walk. Yeah. Like, because I also knew this was a big agreement yes. to to do this, and I had the babies and and he quit. And he's he's never quit anything since because mm-hmm. he's like, he just sat with it. And mm-hmm. so there was another time he went, he did great at the Ironman Aft. Oh, so that was the one it was gonna be a one and done. So we're supposed to have this great Hawaii trip. We go to California. We're supposed to then chill out as a family. And he's just caught up in the fact mm-hmm. that he quit. He didn't finish. And so I'm trying to enjoy a glass of wine. Now this is I'm over it. Like, hey, that was, that was it. Oh, well. And he's like,
3: mm.
4: and he's just being a sourpuss. I'm like, here's the thing. It was supposed to be shut down. And now this is family time. And now you're, and he was just obsessed. And he's like, so finally I said, okay. If it is that troubling to you, you can try again. But we will have a contract and you know, yeah. X, Y, and Z. I will say this was at a time he didn't actually follow a lot of the rules of the contract.
1: You had a contract.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a contract and he said, well, why? I, really cutely. He was like, why are you letting me do it? Like I, that was my choice to quit. And I do think I need to do it again, but I'm surprised you're letting me do it. And I remember saying, well, cause there's going to be a time that I need, it's going to make me cry. We're, I want to do something. There's going to be a time where I'm going to want to pursue something and I'm going to need you to t- to take a heavier load of the kids mm. or do and you that's going to be your time when I ask you you're going to support me. Mm-hmm. And so this is that important. I will support you and when it's my turn you'll do it for me,
2: mm-hmm. you know. But this was a mm. that that race was a critical turning point in my life. Like when after immediately after that I was like Borderline suicidal. I was like, mm-hmm. "What a fuck! What a loser I am! Mm-hmm. What a what a loser!" I can't but that's believe also I not healthy up.
4: thinking. You think about mm-hmm. that. I,
2: I'm I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not done. I I, I don't disagree. <laughs> I was like so caught up in this because to me it was like a, just qualifying was the win, and I had just like discounted like actually performing on the day. I'd be like qualifying for the Olympic team mm-hmm. at trials, and then you get to the Olympics, you're like, "I already I already won. I'm here."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And as soon as that happened. What I realized was in the immediate aftermath is that quitting at anything is so much harder than suffering, and that's mm-hmm. your point about mm-hmm. the ambulance and, le- and and emptying the tank. I know the sting of failure and quitting, and I will never ever feel that again. I will I will never. Same thing with drugs and addiction. I'm like I'm done with that. I've done that. That doesn't work. It doesn't work for me, and it it shouldn't work for anyone. Quitting on your own by your own free will shouldn't be acceptable to anyone because it's so much harder than persevering because that sting will live with you forever you'll never ever get rid of that feeling so now the only way i can cope with that feeling is to know like okay i did that and talk about it and let other people know hey look at learn from my experience trust me you'd rather walk 26 miles than quit because yeah. mm-hmm. i did go there one year and walk and mm-hmm. in in Like I went back the next year, had a really good race, did it in like nine hours and 30 minutes, something in that context. And then I did it in 11 hours and 16, but I had pneumonia like three weeks before and I was like, I'll Just if I have to, I'll just walk, but right. I did. But I was like, I'm not quitting, I'll and be dead out he here. And the reason he quit
4: the first time, I should make this clear, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm really tired. He was quitting, and I knew at the time because he wasn't doing as well as he had mm-hmm. wanted, yeah. So I was the like, time out, wasn't going to be like, great, like, basically. Like, a lot of the money,
2: I'm just going to drop out. Like, yeah. I was a professional athlete, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, justifying in my head, like, Ah, oh, shit, day I'll come back next year and do it yeah. better. And then I was like, What am I doing? Mm. I was walking back with like crying mm-hmm. just by myself, like. I couldn't believe I was doing it, but it was like it was—I was having like an outer body experience. But the point is, like you know, hopefully, if anyone's listening to this, they can learn from that experience. Like, never quit, never give up on yourself, because you'll—it's so much harder to live with yourself if you've given up, and you
1: didn't have to. It—it it, you know—it begs the question or the thought of like, don't start what you can't finish, and mm-hmm. like you can't start everything, and finish everything right right? so it's like be really intentional and thoughtful of like i need to do this for whatever your Mm -hmm. reason is and like if you're gonna start it though take it to the end yeah Mm -hmm. and yeah i think go
0: ahead well and i just i'm still fascinated you casually just throw out there, we have a contract <laughs> about this, and some people I th- I'm sure will listen and be like, that's a little much, but I don't think it is. Oh no, but it was it.
3: it yeah, I think well, my sister's
0: done contracts with her kids, yeah. Saying, like here now,
4: what I will tell you about it, and this was Ken at the time. I stand by the contract. It was like to him, it was sort of a joke, like yeah. And I I do a lot of like you know I'm like a teacher at heart, so like all right, we're gonna have a contract, and yes. I do it with a sense of fun, and like but just so we're clear, like, and he really. I love D- didn't, it. But he didn't really follow the contract.
2: Yes. <laughs> it but- took me a little while to get to the point yeah. where we're at where it's everything is yeah. balanced nah, now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like yes. if we go skiing, I get up at 5 and run before we go skiing so that my running doesn't interfere with anyone else's. And sometimes it does, but I try not to let it because I like what I do, and I don't want it to interfere or cause resentment at our house. So I try to work it in yeah, around what everyone else is doing. When we're going on vacation, I get up super early and do it. And it's just you just... I was talking to a friend today. He's like, yeah, I'm going to try to get up and run tomorrow. I go, dude, don't try. Just yeah. do it. What are you talking about? Try. Mm. If your meeting's not until 8, like getting up at 5 isn't that crazy once in a while.
0: Well, and I, I brought up the contract because if people think it's extreme, I think they're failing to recognize that you guys don't say that you... You're, you haven't explicitly said, like, we have this process of how we protect our marriage and stuff. You've It's just woven in between mm-hmm. your relationship of... We know we do things extremely, which Mm -hmm. not many people can like do what you do, but you figured it out in such a beautiful way of the communication and preparation that you guys put into each decision is something that a lot of people fail to do. And Mm -hmm. it's not until they're a year or two years or three years committed into preparing for an Ironman that the balance gets swayed so badly that they can't come back from it. That's right. Well, and it's like you said, well, how as a spouse do you keep someone in line, someone who can be obsessive?
4: <laughs> yeah. He was obsessive the first time around going to Iron Man. Yeah. I was like, he doesn't know. So it was like, okay. And the, ba- the the contract was like, you know, after you work, then you come home yeah. and you're present with the kids. You're, yes. you're, you're you know, be- and I, it was almost like that. That's your answer. But as the spouse, I was like, okay, well, I left him to his own and he didn't set up mm-hmm. boundaries. He didn't recognize this mm-hmm. is not... So I'm going to kind of say, I think I was, I don't know if I was pregnant, but I did have like rub my feet once a week. That never yeah. happened. You know, I put in some fun ones and I thought yeah. maybe those didn't happen, but it was because he he didn't know the boundaries. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well then I guess I'll have to set them.
1: Hmm. You use the term you enabled, Ken, or I mm-hmm. thought, did, have, have you ever feel like enabled Shelby in anything? <sighs> I'd love
2: to say I enabled her to any bad habits, but she doesn't have any. When <laughs> I met Shelby, she had never... Done any drugs? I had still never, never seen. Had, no, I didn't had never, start <laughs> once I met. No, no. Breath. But had never seen drugs. <laughs> no. I and was... and coming from, I saw pop. I had worked in a maximum security prison for four mm-hmm. years. Had struggled with addiction. Had gone through like hell and back. Like with my own lifestyle of like, I mean, I grew up in an aggressive place with aggressive people. There was a time where, for a year or two, like in the senior year of college and next year out of college where i don't think that i went out with my friends in boston and someone didn't get into a fight it which seems so crazy now thinking back because like, i'm like i not looking for fights but these people were so aggressive that when i met shelby and saw what our family was like i was like oh my god this is the life that this is what's missing in my life this is this is how i envision wow. raising a family so to say we came from two like polar extreme backgrounds would be an understatement mm-hmm. it was like worlds colliding but it worked because i think that we balance each other out a little bit and that she gives me a little bit more um squareness and i give her a little bit more edginess were you
1: an addict when you met
2: yeah
4: unbeknownst to me
0: wow i
2: was a functioning drug addict for like 10 years Mm -hmm. 24 7 round the clock on opioids year round round the clock
0: how did you get out of it
2: at some point, I just like was like I, I can't do this anymore. I went to like NA meetings. Well, it wasn't like a switch; it mm-hmm. was like a process. So the first time I got out of it, I um I was when I was living in London, I went to NA Narcotics Anonymous and went to like a twelve step program and um just got sober. And then I'd have like you know a month or two of sobriety. Then I'd be like back to being high. And then when I met Shelby, I was like kind of in the throes of it again. And um at some point. I went to an outpatient detox where they give you some drugs to help with the withdrawals because withdrawals from opioids is like, man, when I, when I meet other tr- addicts that have gotten off opioids, it's like kind of like meeting someone from The Biggest Loser where you see someone and they're just huge. They're completely mm-hmm. out of shape. And then you see them a year later and they've got abs and they're a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. You're like, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. That is incredible. Good for you. That to me is like getting off opioids. That's what it represents. Is like so hard because... Mm-hmm you don't just get sober in a week, lady like, oh man, I'm so glad I'm sober. You're talking like months, if not a year of like these like lingering, this like lingering depression because you've shut down all these like chemical systems in your brain because you know, the things that you bring normal people joy, like seeing your children, uh, going to an amusement park, whatever. I was getting that high three or four different times a day mm-hmm. so that those natural highs didn't exist for me. Mm -hmm. It was just dull. So for months after it's dull and you have to have blind faith in yourself that that little flicker of light at the end of the tunnel is actually daylight. And if you just keep going, it's gonna get better. And at times it just feels like the tunnel's going down and the, the light is not even visible, but you have to just have blind faith in the process. Just like running. It's like if you trust the process, every day isn't gonna be good. But if you do the work consistently day in and day out for a year, two years, three years, just Mm -hmm. like gymnastics or any high performing athlete, you have to trust that that consistency is part of like the 10,000 hours. You're going to get there. And that's how I viewed my sobriety is like, I will get to the end of this tunnel or I'll die in this hole. And um, I went to an outpatient detox. It was it was horrible. It's embarrassing. But I hope in speaking about it, and I've only spoken about this recently in the last couple of years because it was so embarrassing. I was like, I would rather die than have someone know the truth about me, mm. that I was a loser. And when I went to that outpatient, they gave me a bunch of drugs like blood pressure medication, Ritalin for the day, Xanax at night because you, you're a mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like... If, if someone had seen me without those medications, they'd be like, oh, dude, I think this guy's dying. Mm-hmm. And um, I got up one night to pee and I hear Shelby calling my name and I wake up and I'm like, oh, my God, I just blacked out. I mean, I don't faint. And um, those things like that, just those instances keep piling up and contributing, adding to like the ledger of like, you know, the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was nothing in the pro and all the the list of cons was like, you know, a mile long. And at some point it just, it stuck. and I. But, but again, it was like a process and I just kept consistently trying to stay sober, trying to stay sober. And, you know, it hasn't always been the smoothest ride, but at the end of the day, like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I can't believe I'm sober. Thank you, Jesus.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And other days I'm like, oh my God, I, I would do anything to get high right now and escape the way I feel. Mm-hmm. But I remember like, you know, like if I'm trying to lose weight or someone's trying to lose weight, you just, I feel like, if I eat this, how am I gonna feel in ten minutes? Because mm-hmm. when I'm trying to lose weight or trying to eat good, I'll eat dessert and look wow. at Shelby. I'm like, "Why'd you let me eat that?" Uh-huh. You know, sarcastically. And uh, that's how I just treat it. Is like, what am I gonna feel like in an hour from now? Because this is only gonna this high is only gonna last a few minutes, and wow. then it's gonna start going downhill in a hurry. And I'm gonna be like, "Oh my God, I can either get high again in a little while, or just get through this dull phase and get Whoa. back to baseline." I got chills i've never heard anyone describe addiction like that
1: Mm. that's wild
2: oh what's i couldn't imagine a worse fate you'd rather go to prison Mm -hmm. you you you, sorry you use the term
1: like you were embarrassed because you felt like a loser oh man but like is that how you view addicts no is it like a weakness or no no
2: but i only i'm only passing judgment on myself Mm -hmm. i that's unacceptable for me for my body like the way i take care of myself it's unacceptable for me to abuse my body this is like the greatest gift in the world look at what it's done we know each other because i run because i've accomplished these things you know who i am to disrespect myself and then tear myself down and it is so shameful like i'm i'm so lucky to have all the things that i have and to be healthy to make myself purposely unhealthy for a few moments of like euphoria is so selfish
0: okay mamas ladies After having three babies, I never thought I would wear an underwire bra again until I found Skims. So right before I had Bear, Skims sent me a couple of maternity bras. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to wear maternity bras. They're so uncomfortable. They're not for me. I tried them on. They are the most supportive, most amazing, only maternity bra I have worn this entire pregnancy. On top of that, The material is so soft and the straps are adjustable for maximum comfort and it fits every woman out there. They have a million sizes to choose from. My favorite Skims bra ever is the quote fits everybody t-shirt bra and it's literally the best t-shirt bra I have ever worn. It's seamless, flawless, perfect. You're going to love it. If you're a fan of no underwire, the products I would highly recommend are the wireless form t-shirt bra and the no-show online demi-bra. I like the color sand because you can't see it through white t-shirts, which is the color I usually go with, but they have a color for everybody. Whether you're pregnant, postpartum, nursing, or none of the above, and you just want a good bra, go to Skims. They've got one for everyone. Shop Skims bras at skims.com. Now available in 62 sizes, 30A all the way to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select couple things in the drop-down menu that follows, skims.com.
2: Wow. But I don't think of other people as losers. As a matter of fact, when I see people that are addicts, I want to help them. Mm -hmm. But I also know from being an addict, you can't help people who don't want to be helped. Mm -hmm. If Someone calls me and says, hey, I need help. I'd do anything for them, even a stranger. And anyone who's a recovered drug addict would. But that doesn't mean that I drive by addicts and be like, "Look at these dirt bags." Mm-hmm. I say, "Like, oh, these poor bastards. They're gonna eventually get it though, and they'll they'll get it." And if someone needs me, I'll help them.
1: And you, and there's that aspect of pity because they're they're just like surface level. It's like that they're chasing that short high, sick. and and you've experienced that short high, and also this longer term joy or meaning or you know your purpose and running and that yeah. that high, and you're saying
2: you prefer the latter oh look at me i'm here talking to you guys like two famous podcasters (laughs) and and for what you know what i mean like so yeah i'm luckiest person in the world look at my wife how i mean how much i've got four beautiful children i'm the luckiest person i know but
1: not everybody who's an addict can be like, oh, I'm going to stop being an addict because maybe I'll be like Ken Wright. Why not? You know what I'm
2: saying? Like, Why not? Yeah, no, you're right. Well, well, I could do it. I wasn't I wasn't a good athlete. I was a Division Three athlete. You played in the NFL. I'd kill someone to play in the NFL. I would have done anything to have been in that position. And then I've talked to guys who played in the NFL that are like, yeah, but I never made a Pro Bowl. I want to... Smash them over a head with a microphone. No, I don't feel that way.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Don't let him smash me in the head. (laughs)
0: We have that argument a lot. He's like, "Oh, but I didn't get what." I'm like, "You played in the NFL." Mm -hmm. Stop. Anyway, we. I appreciate the way you describe that though because we've talked about this a lot. I have been very open. I've struggled severely with eating disorders. I went through a really long phase of where I was severely addicted to Adderall, and it was within like the outskirts of my career. And I remember so many times when you're not in it and when you haven't experienced that to a certain extent, it's so easy for someone to say, just stop, Mm -hmm. just stop. And it's like, well, I don't even know how. That's right. And the way you like Mm. describe the emotion, the depression, the roller coasters of it that come with it, Mm -hmm. it's like once you finally get out of it, if you're lucky enough to get out of it, it's like I will do anything in my power never to go back Mm -hmm. there. It sounds great every once in a while, but it's like, no.
2: But to that point, don't you feel tempted some days? If you're tired, you're like, oh my god, if I just had like five milligrams of Adderall, yep. I'd be so productive right now. But what I find is with Adderall in particular is it creates a, literally a psychosis. And I start to act, if I'm don't, if i not regularly abusing drugs, like if I took Adderall tomorrow,
3: mm-hmm. I would
2: notice that I'm a crazy person later yes. in the day. Like, and, and even I can recognize, I'm like, why am I so upset about this? Yes. I'm crazy. Yes. And that's when I was like, okay, I can't do any drugs.
0: Well, and it's even interesting too cuz not too not too long ago, maybe a year ago, we were getting ready to move houses and stuff and we had found like a prescription. And I was like, you need to like get it out of the house <laughs> right now. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know it exists. It mm-hmm. needs to be burned. And mm. he's like, well, I'm so proud. Like we should like to a certain extent, memorialize this and like show it. And I'm like, I cannot mm-hmm. have that near us. Mm-hmm.
2: We've had, we've had opioids in the house where I've said to her, I'm dumping these down the toilet because yeah. I am going to take these.
0: Yeah. Well, I had
4: C-sections and stuff and I would yep. just, yeah.
2: And they were there and I was like, I have to dump these. And she's like, really? I'm like, I, I'm going to take these right I now. I like, really? I'm gonna, I was like, I'm yeah, going to dump these mm. or, or t- I'm going to take these or I'm dumping them down the toilet mm-hmm. because I can't look at them. I can't know that they're here.
0: But like you said, it's, Unless someone wants help, mm-hmm. there's no there's no. no hope for that. Cause it's and, cause it's
2: an impossible task. Yeah. Without a hundred percent commitment from yourself, so to think you're gonna bully someone or guilt them into doing it, you're being naive. They'll yeah. put they will put their addiction ahead of their most prized possession, their family, their loved ones. I mean, look at people like destroy their whole lives for drugs. Mm-hmm. Drugs. At that level of those of that kind of addiction that I was dealing with, takes priority to everyone and everything. And it sounds crazy to someone who hasn't gone through it, but please believe. Go drive through San Francisco or Philadelphia or New York and look at people whacked out on fentanyl. Do they look like they're happy? They've abandoned all sense of self to chase getting high.
1: But you're saying human willpower is stronger than that. That's the only thing that might be stronger than that. Is that right, do you think? If you have to have the
2: desire to quit and that desire... Let's just call it willpower. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, if you don't have the willpower, no, no, no. You have to want to get sober, like you want to live. Mm-hmm. Like it's like if you don't want to, is... if you don't want to get sober, like like imagine if I'm holding you underwater in a pool, and for a minute or two you think it's funny. Oh, he's clowning, and then you realize he's not letting me up. How hard are you going to fight to get out from under that water? That's the kind of fight you have to have to get off opioids, in my opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because Shelby's this you know seemingly straight laced actress. You know, helping special needs, and then, you know. Yeah, well, I remember
4: with- it always makes me cry when I first met Ken. I remember he would have these erratic behaviors, which I was like, I don't know, like mm-hmm. I just it was very hard to figure out. But he was a really good person, and blah blah blah. And I remember saying to my best friend who I was living with at the time when we were dating, and I and I I said, I'm like, this is so frustrating. I'm like, he is this aggressive kind of like impa- really impatient. I'm like. But he's, I, I, I said, I just see him as like a kindergartner and he's the kid that's getting in fights at recess and then he comes in and he's picked me mm-hmm. and he's like, hey, Mrs. Rideout, I have dandelions mm-hmm. for you. You know what I mean? It's like this really, he was always this like mm. really opposite thing. And so I just always, I couldn't let go of like, no, he's a really good person. There's just something going on. And it took me a long time to realize like, is it mental health? Is it dr- like, there was a point at which then I understood. I was like, okay, there's drugs. But even still, it was like, it's a long process. It's not just stopping the drugs. There's behaviors and everything else. And it takes a while, I think for your mind to kind of resettle itself or find itself for the first time of, of different things. So it, it was rocky for me to try and figure out, but at the same time I did have a nice upbringing. And so I don't, pass judgment on people other than i i remember saying to him like when we first met he was like really into money and it was like embarrassing to me like so he would like bought me manolo balanix is that what they? I, I would say it wrong <laughs> whatever those fancy shoes yeah. and it was like 800 dollars for shoes and I, I was like so i just returned them because i did they were just regular black pumps and so i returned him he's like why'd you return them i'm like because you don't have to buy me sh- you don't have to buy me shoes like and he, we would go out to dinner, and people didn't even do like the fake reach for the pocket. Like we went out with another couple; mm-hmm. they just assumed Ken was paying. And I was like, "These people aren't your friends; they're yeah. not." So he was he was really into all that stuff and all this stuff. I, I remember saying to him, "I go, I feel like you're supposed to live in the middle, but like you grew up really poor and kind of with some bad things. Then he went to London and and was going on yachts and going to Monte Carlo. He then he started earning a ton <laughs> of money. This is before he met me, and then he met, and I was like, I think you're supposed to live in the middle." <laughs> It's really a fun place to live where everything's yeah, it, just it, moderate. It, it like, took
2: yeah. a while you know? to get to that point, though. When you're poor and you have nothing and then you yeah. have money, like buying a Rolex watch and having a fancy car is how I tell the world. Like, look how successful I am. Yeah. But in me, like, it didn't take long for me to figure out, like, what the hell am I doing? I, I went for a job interview once at Credit Agricole at the, the French bank, and I had on a Rolex watch. And... Uh, shamrock cufflinks and the guy said to me it was the best question he said what says more about you that watch or those cufflinks and I said oh that's a good question I said I'm gonna say the cufflinks because the watch just says I'm an insecure buzzard Mm -hmm. who wants you to know how successful I am and the cufflinks kind of like Irish represent where I'm from in Boston they're antiques I actually got them in this cool there's a cool story behind them and I'm really proud of them so I'd say the the Cuff links say more about who I am, like as a quality person, and the watch just tells you, like, oh, this is an insecure guy who wants you to know he's successful.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But it took a while to get to that point. Wow, what? T- you didn't ditch him when you found out he was on drugs?
4: No, we. Well, I will say when we dated, there was a number of makeups and breakups mm-hmm. because I couldn't figure out, like, yeah. he's still not a great traveler. He's kind of impatient. And I'm like a special ed <laughs> teacher, so I'm like, well, hey, we're fine. We'll get there, we, you know. Yes. And so I remember driving one time. We were going somewhere on a vacation. We were dating, and I was like, uh, this is not going to work. Like, he was just like a maniac, just like real. And I, th- there were drugs involved at that I get, time. I so. get
2: very anxious about traveling, not nervous. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. got to get there. Yes. Got to get yes. there. <laughs> they can't take our bags before we get off. Those yeah. bags are staying with
4: me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, t- it's so bad that, like, literally I had four kids, and I was like, hey, why don't you take a separate flight? <laughs> I had like four kids under f- four kids under five. I'm like, it's not a problem. We'll just meet you on the other. <laughs> right. end. You, I mean, and maybe call that enabling. It was really more for me. I'm like, I'm gonna have an awesome uh, trip with four four babies. It's easy compared to traveling with Ken. Um funny. but so From so there now, were though. there were some makeup breakups. Um but there was like no choice. It was just like, well, this guy's a maniac. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> But no, and and throughout our marriage, because so the the drugs did continue into the marriage. But on, uh, you know, a lot of it's hidden behavior mm-hmm. so while I am I wouldn't say I'm he thinks I'm naive I'm actually not that naive like I was like oh like I said yes I've never seen cocaine in my life but and I think I saw like actually I was 28 when I first smelled pot. I'm like that's pot okay just think it's a scut. like I just <laughs> yeah. don't even it took me years to recognize the smell of it and stuff because if I saw it I was like okay no problem I'm, you know I'm going whatever it's just not my thing and I don't judge other people on different stuff I mean I don't think you're doing wild drugs but I'm I'm just I just do myself you know um, so when in the marriage it became because I am also like one of the, you know how women can be like Dateline NBC and yeah. be like I am an awesome sleuther. Yeah. So with him, like, so I've more than once gone like, what's this pill? And I'm on Google round blue pill. What the <laughs> hell is that? You know, and and even in times of things where he will be acting weird, I'm like, what the hell? Let me super. And it's always like iron or you know it's nothing. Yeah. But there were years where every single time I went to go look, there was something or and it would be like because or I wasn't think, a very good criminal I think getting off of opioids or any drug too it's very seldom like up. Oh, I quit yeah. and I can and so for me I'd say like well, when was the last time so I smoked cigarettes in my 20 which seems so crazy because no one smokes cigarettes mm-hmm. anymore and so but I remember the feeling of cigarettes I was like I have an addiction mm-hmm. to this and I, I've always actually been grateful for that because it it was a small window into what addiction is where literally like, no, I'm done. Me and my best friend would like break our cigarettes. And the next morning you're rifling through the garbage can yeah. trying to find, you know, a little butt of a cigarette, like disgusting behavior. Um, and so with with him finding things around and then you would. I, and so like an investigator where you lead them down, I'm like, oh, OK, um, is it this or I go, what's going on with you? Not nothing. I'm like, did you take anything? He's like, no, nope. nope. And I go, did you take a Benadryl? He's like, yeah, I took a Benadryl. Now Dateline will tell you. All of a sudden, you didn't take anything, and now I've given you, I've given you an easy yeah. one. Oh well, was it that? Because Benadryl, you're not going to get yeah. in trouble. Was it a Benadryl? Yeah. Oh yeah, I took a Benadryl, and I was like, got him.
3: Mm.
4: So it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I did become more savvy with it, um, and it certainly was frustrating. And I think if someone is not willing to change, he always um, wanted to change,
3: mm.
4: and always was trying different things. He just wasn't like consistent with therapy, whatever. And so I'm like, I'm I'm in it for the long haul, you know. But there's a point at which if you are going to continue to do things and it disrupts the children and different things. And also just as a loving partner, I'm like, you're not, it's very hard to see a partner who you're like, life could be so much better than what you're Mm. doing. This isn't working. It's not working for you. So- I'm here to help you in any way. And that's why it was. Like, okay, I think that's probably why I enabled some of the running. Okay, well, he's out running. He's mm. not, and, and he's really into this. He's really positive. That, he's feeling really, really this good This is
2: about what it. I mean, though, about someone has to be ready to quit. Because mm-hmm. even br- being browbeaten and, and caught lying all the time isn't enough. You have to come to the realization yourself. Mm. There's no, like, shortcuts. And I tried every you know, a uh, shortcut or get-rich-quick scheme to get sober, and there is none. There's only one way. And that's kind of why my mentality now of, like, this mindset of, like, okay, it's time to go. Kill, kill, kill. That was the only thing that, that's the only approach that's worked for me um, in, in using the addiction as an example. Like, that's the only way I could do it is to, like, go into it super aggressively. Like, I'm taking control of this. Mm. And that's the way I approach things that are important to me.
1: So interesting. It makes me think, like, have we all been addicted or are we all addicted to something? Right. And then this idea of a partner being an enabler, like, I think mm-hmm. probably all partnerships enable something. Are you enabling mm-hmm. are you enabling someone to be lazy and like mm-hmm. not hold up their end of the bargain? Or mm-hmm. Are you enabling them to, like, figure out what their purpose in life is mm-hmm. and get closer to that? Are you enabling them to to work hard or enabling him to be addicted to work it's like mm-hmm. this really interesting responsibility that we have mm-hmm. right um but i'm curious how how ken proposed
4: <laughs> um this my, my sister has a theory i don't know how you guys proposed i should ask that before i tell her yeah. theory <laughs>
1: i did it last minute I did it on a state in the Cubs stadium wrigley field perfect yeah, yeah.
4: So my sister has the Siri, and I've seen it over, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree. Like these people, are like we flew to France, and I got a hot air balloon. She's like, oh. those marriages are always doomed. Yeah. Like these huge proposals yeah. where the whole family was thrown. Float- this is no offense to people. If-, if you have that, and it's working out, hella lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my parents live in Shelter Island, New York, and we were. Ken wanted to go out there, so we were driving out, and he was literally going like a hundred. Oh, I got a
2: speeding ticket. Lost my license for sixty days. Wait, he was oh, going,
4: and I, he was going super, super fast in his car. I couldn't necessarily tell. And we get pulled over, and he goes, "Hey," he turns to me, and he goes, "I go, oh, were you going fast, Clueless? <laughs> were you going fast?" He goes, "Yeah, listen, if he takes me away, just." Go to Shelter Island. It's going to be fine. I, I go, was going so fast, what?
2: I was like, he might arrest me. Yeah. I was going and like, I go, what are you talking
4: about? He's just going to give you a ticket. He goes, I was going pretty fast. It was the
2: dead of winter. We were driving out to the end of Long Island, where her parents lived like out in the Hamptons in Shelter Island. And um, her dad was leaving to go. He was writing a book. So he was going to the library. So I was trying to catch him before he left. So I get stopped, get the ticket. The guy didn't even give me a ticket. He's like, here's a summon seeing in court. He was pissed, and rightfully so. And uh, so we go on, and as it, Shelter Island's on a, uh, an island, and you have to take a little ferry, as we're pulling on the ferry, there goes our dad driving away for the day. And I was yeah. going to ask goes, him as soon as I going? got there and then propose in the evening, yeah. and he so drove away, and I was like... He goes, so where's your I, dad
4: going? I go, oh, I don't know, why he's like writing a book. I think he goes to the library to do some research and stuff, and he's like... <sighs> and he he, i kept saying why don't we stop for lunch he's like no no no, we're going to your house we're going to your house but he sees my dad go he's like let's just stop for lunch and he was like all (laughs) dull anyway so i went to go we went out to my parents house i took a nap and he went to go ask my dad permission and uh so my dad's okay and he goes okay well if you guys wanna look out the window i'm gonna go do it right now like ken (laughs) and i think it was like 24 hours ken had bought the ring you know yeah so it was very quick in that regard and so my parents live on the beach and we went down and we used to throw rocks and see who could hit the post with it and stuff. There was so a we... piling out in the water
2: like, you know, maybe like thirty yards out. So we and it was a rocky beach and we'd just stand there. I could stand down there and throw rocks at this thing for like three hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just throwing rocks.
4: So I was picking up a rock and he goes, Shelby, what do you think of this rock? And I turned around and he was
2: Yeah. Nice. It was yeah. like no kidding, oh, it was freezing. like twenty below zero. There was ice frozen all over on the um on the water, which is a bay, so for it to freeze, it's cold. Yeah. So we were down there, and uh, it was, fr- I mean, it was beyond cold. It was Arctic. She's, I was like, come on, let's go walk down. She's like, it's freezing out. I said, put on your mom's fur coat.
1: <laughs> and we walked down there, yeah. Do you have any nicknames, Ken? No.
2: No <laughs> nicknames? No. Nope. You don't have any nicknames? For myself?
1: Do people call you anything every
2: all my kids have their own nicknames. Everyone in my life has a nickname from me, but none for me. But i but I don't have any problems if you want to call me a nickname. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just curious. I, I like I love
1: this bulldog approach, like everything is like freaking like Mike Tyson style. Like, go get it.
3: I yeah, I don't
2: that. know if that's the best approach for everyone though, because I'd like to have some more like a little more peace in my life and a little more like chill. Have you found that a yet? Bit. Sometimes, sometimes I can be very um. Zen and I think I'm very like uh, sensitive and affectionate and loving mm-hmm. if in the right environment but the minute I feel th- I'm very insecure so the minute I feel threatened I'm like oh you think I'm a you think I'm a jerk watch this yeah. now I'm going he to give you reason not to like you any day of the week <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah. a huge um, that's uh, <laughs> uh, 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 something that I've got to work on it's I let other people control how I see myself and how I act towards them Versus just being confident and secure in myself. When I'm at my best, no one can affect me. When Mm. I'm at my worst, everything affects me. But
4: that's true of all of us, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: Well, self reflection. Mm -hmm. What were you gonna say,
1: Shelby?
4: He's, he, dating wise, it was great. So, you know, when people are looking and doing dating apps and stuff and all these gameplay, he doesn't play games, which was, so like I met him the next day, there were like flowers at my house, like, oh, I hope I get to see you again soon, like Mm. he's, which was really nice. I mean, take away the drugs and all the lying; <laughs> yeah. it was great. <laughs> but it was like, what's nice about Ken is like you get—he's not fake at all. So like you know where you stand with him. Mm-hmm. And in business, he's very upfront with people. He's very ethical and and stuff. So all of the stuff that matters is yeah. great. The the thing that affects his behavior is insecurity, really. Mm-hmm. Which is again, I think is true of everybody. That is to me, it's the worst th- thing that we all have. And so, mm. even when you were talking about parenting, it's like he didn't come from maybe good examples. So how do you, how do you not pass that on? I think that it's, you have to solve what, solve whatever's going on in you and though th- it will be more natural. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But if you're still going into parenthood with the trauma or whatever they experience, then that's going to get passed on even when you don't want it to. It's like alcoholism or anything like, or abuse rather. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do it, but you do it until you have just focused within and figure it out. What, fractures need to be fixed. And then I think parenting and being in relationships, I think that all becomes more of a natural thing.
1: I like how you said that. Yeah. Cause sometimes I have the thought of like, you can't always be thinking about you and your issues, but you said figure out what fractures you do. So have Mm -hmm. the look inside enough to figure out where you're broken. Mm -hmm. But then like, I think the process of repair is almost like you need to look outside like people talk about service or like helping, you know what I'm saying? It's like this interesting balance.
4: That is so, so I was in my 20s, you know, reading self-help books and then there's a period where you're like, I need a break. It's -hmm. it's too much. It's so ego focused a little bit at one point and you go over the top and the best, to me, I always tell my kids when I was going through miscarriages and my whole life, I always say like, God tests you with what is the test for you. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, not working at, you know, Goldman Sachs, that wouldn't be a test for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mass, not my thing. I'm not into business in that way. But if God was saying, hey, I don't think I'm going to, you're not going to be a mom. I was like, this is impossible. This Mm -hmm. can't be. Mm -hmm. And so it was a huge testing in my faith and everything else. And so my father took me for a walk at my best friend's wedding. It was like, hey, this is, and Ken was awesome during all that. Like He was like, and I knew he wanted kids too. And he was like, it's okay. I married you, mm-hmm. you know, like it isn't, we wow. we can do whatever. And, but it was, it was really an ego thing, not ego, partly, probably, but like, I just felt like broken as a woman. And I just, I just wanted so many babies. And, and my dad was like, you have to, this isn't fair. None of us know why this is happening to you, but it is what it is. And you just have to, you can't, you have a husband who loves you and you have to keep living you have to so my dad was saying like move your body you have to move your body every day which you know mm-hmm. depression wise and all that um mm. i lost my train of thought That's what looking outwards oh yeah and so i went back to i, I did a half marathon once because mm-hmm. i went and started running and ken's like you got to sign up for a race otherwise you'll you, you'll stop running mm-hmm. and i was like no I, I don't need to but he's right you almost have to have a goal because you otherwise you'll run three days on the treadmill and be done and mm-hmm. it was like no no i have this race i have to keep which i did um but the other thing i, I signed up for like meals on wheels and i would go visit these old ladies yeah. And it was the gift really is to yourself. It, mm-hmm. it is absolutely taking just all the focus off yourself and just saying, OK, I'm going to go paint these old ladies nails and just talk to them, get them groceries, do whatever. Um, and it it completely switched everything yeah. for me.
1: Tell us about your app.
4: Oh, so um, I was an actress and um, an interpreter and I was a private tutor for like 20 years in New York to subsidize the acting and the stuff. And so... And I got my babies and I was like, I don't really, they called me for auditions. I'm like, yeah, great. And then I had my daughter tensing. I was like, oh, I have an audition on Thursday. I just mm-hmm. didn't want to do it anymore. So I had my daughter and my son almost immediately. We came home from Ethiopia in December and my son was born in June. So I started out with two babies, which by the way, one of my favorite things, they would be in, they were in a stroller. She's Ethiopian and my son is blonde and pale. Mm-hmm. More than once, I'd be double strolling it through New York, and someone's like, "Are they twins?" And I was like, "Close, (laughs) you know, eleven months apart." Um, But anyway, so with them, in order to like take a shower or have a moment, I started making home videos of myself just doing sign language, and and I wanted to teach them baby sign. So I was doing sign language and just kind of interesting things that kids would like, and and so they would, I would put that on, knowing, oh, this is kind of language based, and I'll go take a shower, and they can watch this on the screen. Well, they started to read and do sign language at like a really young age and so people were like oh my god how did how did they, how did they learn that and I was like, oh I just have these videos so people started asking me how they could buy them I'm like well they're not for sale they're so I end up turning into a whole thing I have like a sign language puppet and it's just um, sort of this learning program that starts out with communication so you can communicate and mm-hmm. cut down on frustration and all that but then it does introduce phonics and all this stuff and so it's like a very the idea is to just you're learning while having fun. It's mm-hmm. not like, um, you know, you got to learn and go to Harvard. It's just mm-hmm. a very fun educational thing to put on that I've had um, hearing kids and autism kids and kids that just like it's a nice calming thing. That actually I have people a lot of people are like, dude, it's like a baby whisper yeah. that like just the sounds and everything be like screaming. I have videos and the kids are like, oh, and they, so. But it's a it's a really great program. And so now it's been made into an app. It's How called people- so it's called bright sign. It's called bright signs learning. And um, it's an app on Google Play and on Apple, and you can just download it for, and I don't even do a subscription thing. It may not be a great business plan, but I'm like, I just want people to be able to have it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's for videos and then it has games, um, some games at the end as well. That's
0: awesome. We'll link it down
1: below too. Yeah. Uh, This was, this felt like the most important conversation we've had. I I had goosebumps multiple times. Mm
0: You guys are very wise. <laughs> I, don't,
2: I, I don't always feel very wise. If we bring our kids, will be the best reflection. See how our that's how you can always tell how someone's doing. Bring their kids over here and let's mm-hmm. see how they behave. Yeah. <laughs> At least when we're in public, I know my kids are like very well behaved. Yeah. And I'm like, it's always like such a source of pride. I'm like, yeah, they behave. They know.
0: I just remember my mom telling me as a kid and it gets more and more true every year. It's like. The best lessons in life, you'll unfortunately learn the hard way. Yep. And I, mm-hmm. I just think it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I hate that you guys have gone through so much, mm-hmm. but it's refreshing to hear it and to see people come through it mm-hmm. because it just makes us reminds us that we're human and well, and that we can is come you, out of it.
4: The faith too, like my for me it was having babies for Ken. Probably um, the the addictions and stuff like that. But they always say it's like, well, I wouldn't trade it. Mm-hmm. I would that's never trade it. What I was it.
2: gonna say is that. Although you say, like, I'm sorry you went through that. Like, I'm not sorry. Mm -hmm. Like, I wish that I could have done things. I wish I could have, like, gone to Harvard, played in the NFL, (laughs) been a professional fighter, been the, like, that would have been great. But it wasn't. So I've taken what... Was given to me, or what I deserve i got what I deserved, and I've turned it into a positive. And the same thing, like, unfortunately, it took me 52 years to be recognized as an athlete. But to be recognized <laughs> as an athlete and use the addiction as like a cautionary tale to help others, I can either like let it be a, a source of embarrassment and um, shame, or I can just use it as a teaching tool and show others, like, hey. I know that some people are gonna see this and be like, "Ah, his addiction couldn't have been that bad." He's look at he's he seems to be okay now, but trust me, it was. I was just an addict with means, so I didn't have to steal. I was like working in finance and making money, so I could buy an entire bottle of prescription pills mm-hmm. at a time for three thousand dollars and not think about it. But other people are out you know, robbing and stealing, but the addiction is the same, the, the mm-hmm. end result is the same. I was in the same hole with the people, whether regardless of how everyone got their drugs, we were all in the same ditch together. Mm-hmm. And I just, at some point, was like, yeah, see you guys. <laughs> I've had enough. Take care, comb your hair. Wow. I, I'm just curious, you guys have been in Nashville for two
1: years and we just freaking connected like two weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. so I don't know. know what's up with that, but I glad know. to know you guys now. <laughs> Likewise. And Hopefully, there's a lot more that we could glean from you uh, in the future. But also, Ken mentioned that he has a podcast with Teddy Atlas. We'll link that in his uh, social handle. Anything else that you want to talk about? No. As far as promoting anything? Okay. No,
2: no, no. I never have anything to promote. But I do have a <laughs> podcast with Teddy Atlas called The Fight with Teddy Atlas.
1: Ken's a freak, so follow, <laughs> follow whatever he does.
2: It's great. Uh, glad to know you guys. Thank you so much for the time. Thank Thanks you for having, having us. us. Thank you. Extremely honored to be here.